Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. We're also grateful to those of you who offer member support, for which I'm pleased to offer in return member-only content curated with our authors and myself. You can find out more about this member-only content and how you can help authors give voice to their written words at charlottereaderspodcast.com. When Landis is not getting under the cover at bookstores, at events, and on the road, he does it in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, located in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte. But enough with the prologue. Let's get under the covers. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. Hey, listeners, today we're visiting with Donna Everhart and talking with her about her most recent novel, The Moonshiner's Daughter. Donna, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So you had a trip down today from... Done. Done, North Carolina. You are a USA Today bestselling author of The Road to Bittersweet, winner of the Southeastern Library Association Outstanding Authors Award, The Education of Dixie Dupree, which is a 2016 Indie Next List selection, The Forgiving Kind, and The Moonshiner's Daughter, which we're here to talk about today, both with great reviews. So congratulations. Thank yeah. you so much. I love your titles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We are talking titles before we got started here, and, and we are talking about how do you come up with those titles, but The Road to Bittersweet. Education of Dixie Dupree, The Forgiving Kind, and now The Moonshiner's Daughter. So when do you come up with your titles? Well, actually, um, a couple of them have come before the story. And then it's probably going to sound weird to other people, other writers, that that happened. And then I sort of wrote the story around the title. That's not a—I mean, look, that's a great prompt, right? (laughs) If you come up with a good title. It can be. It can be. Well, so for The Moonshiner's Daughter, was that— title known to you when you started no it was actually something entirely different and it was shine mountain and um after a conversation with my agent he liked the title but at the same time he thought it might attract a different audience um appalachian noir kind of writers those that would be seeking something like what david joy writes Mm. and um while i write a gritty story i didn't want to, you know, lose the readers that I have built up with the other three books. But this, but this is about Shine, right? Absolutely. So why not Shine Mountain? <laughs> I know. No kidding. And I, I had all of my um, rationale behind why it should be Shine Mountain. Because this is where moonshine happens, right? That's exactly right. You're a North Carolina author, too, right? You, you live in Dunn, you said. Uh, part of your bio is you've got a heart-stealing Yorkshire Terrier named what? Mr. But I call him Bundle. Yeah, I mentioned that because next month we've got an episode called Gone Dogs, writers who've written about the dogs and passed on and what they mean in their lives. So has this Yorkshire Terrier been with you a while? He has. Mm. We adopted him when he was three. Mm. Does he inspire any of your writing? 
Well, no. He's just there when you write. He, he is there. He's my companion. He yeah. get, he sometimes wants attention when I'm trying to write. Yeah. You said you're an early riser, right? Yeah. That's right. Is yeah. that when you write typically in the morning? It is, yeah. fueled by coffee. How early? Yeah. I get up about, well, I have been known to get up at four, but I usually get up around five. All right, so you're tired now. We're recording at 1 o'clock. Is that your bedtime? <laughs> Is that right? Well, I, I can yeah. last a little bit longer. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, so you were an IT person in your former life. Is that right? I was. How does that – I'm curious about how that helps your writing. I mean, because you write these, uh, as you said, gritty uh, novels, but they're, you know, they got – they're character-driven as well. So That's right. I don't think of IT people as doing that. (laughs) I was probably in disguise the whole time I was out there working for 35 Uh, years in that field. uh, Um, So it's it's just I worked for Nortel first um, for 25 years. Were you writing while you were working? No. I actually – well, I take that back. I – so I started at Nortel in 1987, and then somewhere around the late 90s, I started working on the education of Dixie Dupree. Mm. And if you can uh, sort of notice that it didn't get sold until 2015 and didn't get published till 2016, I mm. guess I could say it took me 20 years. And what was Dixie Dupree's education? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was kind of a rough one, was to be it? honest. Yeah, that's a mm. tough story. That's probably my toughest story. It deals with a lot of family dysfunction, alcoholism, um, sexual abuse, Mm. physical abuse, um, Mm. kind of the kitchen sink of family problems. Where was it set? Alabama. Okay. And The Road to Bittersweet was your first, right? Actually, The Education of Dixie Dupree was was my first. first. Okay. Well, I guess you list The Road to Bittersweet because it won a big award, right? That's exactly (laughs) right. My publisher did that. (laughs) Okay. They put that in the right order then, right? That's right. Uh, All right. Well, look, let's... um, before we get under the covers here with the recent book, let's talk about the book cover for The Moonshiner's Daughter. They can't see this because this is audio. Right. So describe it for them. I love this. Um, so with my first two books, there were models, of course. They're the headless version. You know, you get uh, but you get the sense of mm-hmm. uh, a character You're there. You're not talking about romance where the shirt's off or anything, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> no, just missing the from just, neck up. Just neck up. Okay. Uh, not, and then um, they went to uh, still art for my third book, The Forgiving Kind, and then with this one as well. And on the cover here, which I absolutely love, is um, a chair, a very old, antique-looking chair. And there's um, probably a flannel shirt hanging over the back of it. And what some people may not notice in the lower right-hand corner is an old, old pair of high-top boots, lace-up boots, and then sitting on... The chair is a old clay jug. Yeah, and that's probably a jug that's held its share of moonshine, right? I yeah. I'd like to think so. <laughs> yeah, and, and it has a little bit, a little, uh, I guess, a little uh, epigraph on there, a little bit. Some legends are best left behind. Some legacies. Oh, I, 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 yeah. I put my glasses on here. <laughs> Some legacies are best left behind. That's right. And we're going to talk about what those legacies are in just a second. But the book itself has gotten some good recognition. Uh, Southern Literary Review January Book of the Month. Uh, it got Southern Lady Magazine Book Club Selection. Um, and let's see, Mary Jane's Farm, Farm Girl Book Club Selection. Uh, plus the praise keeps coming. You got uh, some star reviews for it. Uh, someone talks about it in terms of it being a coming-of-age story for our protagonist, Jesse. Right? That's exactly yeah. right. 
If you like our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, please consider leaving a short written review about Charlotte Reader's podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you leave a review, it helps authors reach more listeners. You can keep up with news about the show and member-only content for our member supporters by joining our email list. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join the list, we will give you a free ebook written by me, the first book in the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy. Charlotte Reader's Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Tell us about Jesse. Jesse Sasser is a 16-year-old girl who was born into a legacy of moonshining, and she doesn't really want to have anything to do with it. But her family's been doing it for generations. Mm. However, she witnessed, when she was only four years old, the fiery death of her mother. And so as time has gone on and she has grown from that four-year-old into this 16-year-old, she has come to her own conclusions about what took place with her mother. And so she blames Moonshine for it, and she sets out to destroy the family legacy, and it backfires on her. So it's kind of a story about family, loyalty, revenge, self-discovery, and then Jessie, um, as she's going through this process, uh, has an internal demon, basically an eating disorder. Mm. And uh, so she has some self-destructive behaviors. You write about some some tough issues, right? I do. <laughs> gritty. Yeah, gritty. As you said, gritty is a good word. Um, so we're now under the covers with this uh, book here, uh, The Moonshiner's Daughter. You've given us sort of a, a description of the fact that we got this family, the Sassers. We got a relationship, father daughter. That's not, and we're gonna, you're going to have a read in a little bit too, from the first chapter that gives us a flavor a little mm-hmm. bit for that too. But uh, throughout this book and. You know, this relationship with the father and daughter changes, I presume, and uh, gets a little bit violent at some point, right? Uh, so Jessie, as she's working through this issue that she has and her decision to make, um, to get rid of her family stills is, is essentially what she thinks she's going to do. Mm-hmm. And then when it backfires on her, the violence is actually coming from other family members and a clash with a family known as the Murrays, who are their biggest rivals mm, on the mountain. Hatfield-McCoy kind of. That's what a lot of people have said, and <laughs> I like to think, uh, yeah. yeah, maybe a little bit Hatfield and McCoy, except yeah. that, you know, Jesse isn't uh, attracted to right. uh, the opposite, of you know, family. There's right. there's none of that for her. There's yeah. none of that kind of romance in this for her. But um, And so her father is actually not a violent person. He's mm-hmm. a very low-key kind of person. But the violence comes from her other family members as well as the Murrays. Well, there's no possible way I'm going to screw up and give away the ending because I haven't gotten a chance to finish the whole book. But I'm, I'm into <laughs> it and I really like it. So I, I can't wait. I've only got a few books to finish to read here you know, for, the, <laughs> for the podcast. But this is I definitely need to do that. Uh, but I was really drawn in you know, by the first chapter, which you're going to read in just a second. And I was curious about... Um, you know, the setting, you call this Southern fiction. Yes. Where in the South is this story set? This is an area that I have always wanted to write about. Just because of the notoriety of mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. moonshining, right. it was known as the moonshine capital of the mm-hmm. world, and some people might have guessed it by now, but it's Wilkes County. Well, I thought so, I mean, because <laughs> I drive by there all the time yes. on the way to, to Boone, and, and, and I'm thinking, 
this is the area where NASCAR was born, right? That's exactly right. Because yeah. they were they were hustling and moving the shine around, right? That's right. So did you work some of that into the story as well? Absolutely. The, okay. Uh, well, the NASCAR, n- not the NASCAR right, piece. But the chases and the cars. And, yes. Yeah. And, yes. And, the, and where they had the revenuers, is that right? Yes, and, exactly. And they're in the story too, I presume. Yes, they yeah. are. Are they, well, they probably want to help her destroy the tills, right? Well, see, this is what, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of sort of uh, meandering around this whole thing with her wanting to destroy the stills. And mm-hmm. when I say meandering, I'm talking plot points. Mm-hmm. And so her intention is to try to blame the Murrays. And then she thinks, well, you know, realistically, because of these agents, then it's possible that it would be thought that maybe it was agents that did it she tries to make it yeah but she tries to set it up so it looks like the murrays have done it Mm -hmm. um but there are agents and back then they weren't known as part of the the division as it's known now called the atf yeah it's it was known as the alcohol tax unit the atu agents had to be some taxes in there for the government to to sick them right yeah (laughs) that's right how'd you do your research and uh on this, uh, did you have some close relatives that were moonshiners, or did you kind of go dig into this in the books? I actually ordered a couple of books um, that dealt with moonshining, mm-hmm. um, and then I did a lot of Google searches. Obviously, I think a lot of us do that nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I actually, and this is the way it goes. Sometimes you get the whole book written, and then you find out after the fact that yeah. you have a close family member who was actually a bootlegger. Really, and that was my grandfather. Did you reach out? Well, he's gone, uh, and I literally just found this out this week. He didn't leave any evidence behind? or Well, I I tell you what, in this is a kind of a throwback uh, comment to The Education of Dixie Dupree, but anybody that has read that book will uh, know about something called Sneaky Pete. Mm. And Sneaky Pete, which makes... I like the name. Yeah, (laughs) well, my grandfather used Mm. to drink out of a jar that was wrapped in a brown bag, Uh similar to the way Sneaky Pete is described in The Education of Mm -hmm. Dixie Dupree, Mm -hmm. but that same grandfather was the bootlegger, and he used to be known as Chili. Mm. His nickname was Chili, and I found out that's because he was caught selling bootleg liquor up in Ohio, in Chillicothe, Ohio. And that's where he goes, isn't it? (laughs) Yep, and he had to spend some time in jail up there. So what's the truth about moonshine in North Carolina and uh, then and now? Because I'm sure there's a still or two still left, right? There is. um, I would say what the truth is for then is a lot of families had to do it to supplement their income. And um, so for them... You know, they didn't understand why the government had to be involved. They were doing it on their land. They were buying their own corn. Mm. They were buying the sugar. They were buying the jars. They were, you know, it was like, why What's? Why do mm-hmm. they need to be involved? Mm-hmm. And um, as far as moonshine today, I think North Carolina is sort of getting a history mm-hmm. for becoming very, very good at craft brewing, mm-hmm. whether it's beer or, you know, just wine. Came, We've got came a lot natural, of wine. Came natural to us with all yeah, the stills, right? exactly. <laughs> all right, Donna, we got a short read here from a great place to start, the opening chapter, because uh, that's where we draw people in. So anything you want to say about this before you read it? Yes. Um, just to set it up a little bit, um, I could have started with the very first sentence, which is rather startling. Yeah, I want to talk about the first sentence in a minute. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, but I thought that this uh, particular area... Um, it, it just gives a little bit of a good background about how Jessie is starting to feel about the overall role of her place in moonshining. All right, take it away. 
I was four years old when she died, according to the date on her gravestone, July 10, 1948. It was 12 years ago, and although I've tried to remember her before that terrible day, I can't. Her features before the accident are blurry, like a picture that's had water dropped on it, smearing everything so it's like looking through a frosty window. I also can't say what happened right after, what we did, where we went, who came to help us. I can't call to mind no service or the burial. Obviously, there was one because of that gravestone, which holds all I know, her name, Lydia Marsh Sasser, and the date of her death, both engraved within a heart. New routines filled the empty gaps her passing left in our small world. Somehow we made do. There'd be times when I'd purposefully recall what little I knew, and each image would flip by in my head, like the slide projectors teachers use in school. Sometimes there'd be moments when something from deep within would break through all on its own. Once was when I was around 11, and Merritt and I had gone to one of the stills tucked back in the woods where we were making sour mash. There's an odor to it, and I came to realize I'd smelled that very same thing just before Mama caught fire. A puzzle piece fell into place. Merritt, who was nine, happened to bring her up as I was having this moment of clarity. He said, Jesse, you reckon our mama ever did this? My hands had gone sweaty as that one single thought dared to peek through a thick veil, surfacing through foamy memory, boldly rising up and out of my head like the bubbles in the sour mash I stirred. I mumbled, I don't know, but I think it's what killed her. All right, Donna, the... Uh Let's talk about the first line because you've you talked about mom catching fire here, but the first line of this book, uh, and I love first lines that pull people in. <laughs> <laughs> the only memory I have of mama, she was on fire. That's right. That's how you start the book. Yeah. And she was on fire because she and her husband were in the moonshine business, right? And That's she was right. doing something, I guess, what chemicals or whatever they used to. The stills, when you're creating moonshine, there's a fire built up underneath them, and the pressure builds up. It's literally like a pressure cooker. Mm. And, you know, not wanting to do too many spoilers here, but there is an event mm -hmm. that takes place that causes it, and that the reader will find out what that is, but uh, it causes the still to explode. Okay, yeah. yeah. And she's on fire in the first chapter. Yeah. That's right. So... Did you hear a story like that somewhere? Did you what what, what sparked this idea to put you know a young girl uh, sort of in the middle of this uh, industry, you know Appalachian industry, and then try to take it down? Yeah. What? Well, um, for the actually for the first sentence, there's uh, some truth behind that. Mm -hmm. I saw my mother catch fire. Uh, for very different reasons. You, Not, you did? Yes, uh, I did. Uh, yeah, okay. I, and I was about Jesse's age. I was probably about three. Mm. Um, but it was not because of moonshining. It was uh, literally because my father was just trying to light a, a grill, and he used gas. Was she okay? I mean, did she, yeah, she yeah. she was actually perfectly fine. It was. Okay. I kind of. I, I shouldn't joke about it because it was a horrific event at the time. Uh, but it was like getting a chemical peel when she came mm. home. I was afraid of her. Okay, but you didn't answer my question about how you put a young woman at the center of this, you know, 
whole thing that's going on around I was there. leading up to it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, now I'm going to give you a chance. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so I've always had this interest with the uh, moonshining that went on in Wilkes County, knowing that it had such a rich history with NASCAR, et cetera. And then there's also been the stories um, throughout time of moonshining being so prevalent throughout North Carolina. And I thought, well, was everybody really in for a penny and in for a pound? Mm -hmm. What if there wasn't? You know, what if there was somebody that wasn't? And because I've been writing coming-of-age stories, it just made sense. But this time I wanted the protagonist to be a little bit older than my others. All right, quick, we have a little bit of time, not much we're going to do writing life, but is that kind of what you do with your novels? You kind of put characters in them and they kind of, as you said, come of age, they work through the issues of their youth and tackle something big and important and have their setbacks and try to overcome. And That's that's basically what it is. Okay. I mean, yeah, every single character is, is put up to some challenge of mm-hmm. some kind, whether it's emotional, physical, whatever it may be, or just struggling to find themselves. And how long does it take you typically to, to write one of your books? Well, I could have a good answer for this question, and that would be if you're under contract and you're given a year, it takes a year. It takes a year, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You do it by deadline. That's right. Uh, Routines, you've already talked about the morning. Uh, Do you uh, you have any particular quirky aspects to your routine, anything that helps you sort of stay in the moment? Well, if I I get stuck, I have to just break away from the computer. A lot of people will, Mm -hmm. a lot of writers I know will try to Mm -hmm. just work through it and keep working and keep working. Mm -hmm. I will get up and walk away from it and I'll go pull weeds, Mm -hmm. (laughs) go for a walk. I'm a runner as well, but I haven't been able to run lately. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just get away for a little bit. And what's uh, your character in this book? You always, I think, try to have them searching for something or trying. What is Jesse searching for in this book? Well, she knows that she has been missing a relationship with her mother. So initially, she is searching for some knowledge of her mother. Mm-hmm. But as time goes on, she's really searching for where she fits mm-hmm. in in her family dynamic and, and just a, a book of self-discovery of how she fits in with her family. And is that uh, you, too, in your writing life? Are you looking for self-discovery when you write? I am sometimes. Um, mm. You know, they say write what you know, so you put mm. a little piece of yourself sometimes so, more so in each I, book. If I need some moonshine, I should call you then? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, are you going to have some recipes in the back of the book or on your Facebook page or something? I mean, yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting. Cinnamon moonshine or something, yeah. yeah. There was there was a, an article recently done by BookBub, uh-huh. and they picked this boy. They wrote an article about this book and mm-hmm. serving moonshine Along with your next book club. Look, so. I can see some great events here. For you, you need to stop <laughs> doing the wine and cheese party. <laughs> Invite people for a reading with moonshine. You probably have your be- best turnout ever. Okay. I know. All right. Well, look, we're going to have to uh, wrap it up. We're, we're out of time, but I do I want to find out. Uh, are you working on something else right now? I absolutely am. Okay. I'm under contract for the fifth book, and it will mm-hmm. not be. You know, I don't know uh-huh. what people will think about this, yeah. but it won't be coming of age. Okay. We'll, we'll already be there, right? And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, That's right. Well, listeners, you can find out more about uh, USA Today bestselling author uh, Donna Everhart in our show notes. Uh, there'll be links, uh, photos, other information. Uh, check out her books. They, uh, they, they're really intriguing. She draws you in. And uh, Donna, thanks so much for being here on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's it for today. 
another fine author giving voice to their written work. Landis will be back next Friday getting under the covers with another interesting author. But before then, coming on Tuesday, we'll have another long-form episode with readings and conversations about the written words and the writing life of a local or regional author. Landis loves helping authors give voice to their written words, but he can't do it alone. If you're inclined to help me help authors give voice to their written words, please consider becoming a member supporter. We'd love to have you as a member. And when you join at certain levels, we'll give you access to member-only content curated by the authors and me. Would you like to hear more from the authors? Perhaps a variety of presentations on writing craft, or additional readings, or tips on marketing and social media. Would you like some behind-the-scenes insights and reflections from me, or some edited content from previous episodes without interruptions. You can find out more about these member-only benefits and how to become a member supporter at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. <laughs>